Welcome to Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest. In the house with us is the one and only founder of Code Pink. Code Pink, Madia Benjamin. She's with us. She's now the or she is the author of Is Peace Possible in Ukraine? And also this morning, I got up and reading uh, reading common dreams found an article blazing with the kind of info we need about ukraine called uh, called the eight steps what is it called again what is it start where, where am i where am i it's called the eight well I, i'll tell you what i'll let her talk about it but madie benjamin welcome to politics on right how are you doing today i'm doing good thanks for having me on i think you're referring to the eight reasons why now is a good time to uh, call for negotiations in Ukraine. Absolutely. Um, but it's, yeah, any time is a good time. You know, I, I woke up this morning and that's one of the first places I normally check and I checked on it and it's like there. But anyway, great to have you on Politics Done Right, Madia. I think the last time I saw you was in Wisconsin at the Democracy Convention. Uh, how has it been since then? Well, it's, uh, um, one would have hoped that we would have been in a time of peace after the U.S. got out of Afghanistan, um, but it looks like there's always another war to follow, one war that ends. Well, and, uh, so here we are. You know how that is. Well, in the house with us is Joe Marcinskowski, who was generous enough to get us all uh, connected for all that we're going to be doing over this, the stint that you're going to be placing here in Harris County, the Houston area. So, Joe, welcome to Politics Done Right as well. It's wonderful to be here. I'm with the Houston Peace and Justice Center. I'm the chair of the Military Foreign Policy uh, Work Group. Uh, and one of the things uh, we did was co-found the Foreign Policy Alliance here in Houston. And those two groups, Houston Peace and Justice and the Foreign Policy, are uh, promoting this uh, effort today. And we're really excited about having uh, Medea in for this extended weekend. Good to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you. It was the left forum in Brooklyn just before the COVID. Uh, how you doing, Medea? Good. It's nice getting out again and seeing friends and uh, uh, talking about such important issues and seeing what people are doing in different areas of the country and how we can build up more opposition to this uh, blank check for endless war. Well, look, it, it's it's great having you here. Now, Madia, I have a, a before we go into, I want to start discuss your article because I think that article presented something that is timely and something that we need to get into. But beforehand, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Uh, give us sort of the genesis of it. Why did you write it? Why did you give it the title that you gave it, especially in these times? We, uh, My co-author and I had been writing about Ukraine before the war began. Uh, we really didn't think that there was going to be an invasion. And when it did happen, we realized that uh, this might be something that could go on for quite a long time and that the American people need to understand the context of this war. And we knew it was going to be a very complicated one for people to uh, wrap their heads around and uh, figure out that there were two wars going on, one in which the uh, Russians were the aggressor and went into another sovereign country and another geopolitical war in which the U.S. was laying the groundwork for this to happen. And the reason we called it a senseless war is because it could have been stopped so many different times, including right up the month before the war started, 
when the Russians put out a peace plan and tried to negotiate, uh, but the U.S. and NATO totally dismissed their uh, calls for negotiations. So this is a war foretold many years ago. As we lay out in the book, there's so many times since 1991 and the dissolution of the Soviet Union that uh, academics and diplomats and uh, uh, others kept saying, you know, bad move, expansion of NATO. This is not going to be good. Russia's going to be stuck in a bad position. They're calling it a red line. They're going to retaliate. And here we are. Well, uh, you, you, use, you use two delineations right there. First, an invasion. And second, a provocation. Why don't you expand on that? Because I think if you one listens to just the narrative that we hear in the United States, we have the glory, glory, hallelujah, the folks who want and love democracy and uh, an evil empire that's coming in to invade. You're saying it's, it's a lot more, it, it, there's a lot more that one needs to go into before just making that simplistic assessment. So why don't you expand on those two that, that you actually just brought up? Well, that's right, because you hear from the Biden administration and from the mainstream media, these two words constantly, unjustified and unprovoked. And we say, you know, hold on a minute. This was certainly provoked, and it certainly is unjustified uh, in that invading Ukraine was not the way to deal with it. But we've been provoking Russia for a long time now, and I mentioned the 1991, which was the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And there are many people who still deny that the U.S. actually made an agreement uh, with Russia that we would not expand NATO eastward. And yet there's so many documents saying uh, that this was indeed the case, uh, that it was very clear that Secretary James Baker talked to Gorbachev, but not only uh, Baker, there were many other officials who did as well, uh, making that same kind of pledge. And yet, when you see the kind of expansion that took place over the years and how Russia was basically surrounded uh, by NATO countries, um, we say that that definitely was a tremendous provocation, especially since NATO is not something we also hear in the mainstream media, a defensive alliance. It's an aggressive military alliance, uh, and this was uh, proven by the fact that NATO has gone all over the world, very far from the North Atlantic, uh, to invade and, uh, and bomb other countries. So there was great reason why uh, Russia was very upset with NATO for this expansion and felt threatened by it. Yeah, uh, Joe. Well, let, let me ask let me ask you this, um, um, Maria, because most of the people that are listening to what you have to say would look at that as, my God, you're speaking up against democracy. You're speaking up about by, by making a statement like that. You're almost justifying that Russia had some real or legitimate reason to go into uh, to Ukraine. I don't think that's what you're saying. I think what you're what you, what you're saying is that um, geopolitically speaking, and that's what you mentioned when you first started, is that geopolitically speaking, one has to take into account positions of power. One has to take into account borders of power. So please expand on that. Yes, absolutely. I keep saying it's unjustified, unjustified. It's brutal. It's inhumane. It's illegal. The, uh, it, it, the invasion is horrific, and the Ukrainian people every day are suffering the consequences. Uh, 
Uh, but it's important to understand the context because then that that is the only way we can look towards what are the solutions. And uh, putting it in the context also has to be the fact that the U.S. was so heavily involved in the internal affairs of Ukraine when there was a spontaneous democratic uprising in 2014 that turned violent uh, and resulted in the overthrow of a yes, corrupt, but yes, elected government, turning a government from one that was uh, pro-Russia to one that was pro-West, the U.S. was heavily involved in that. And we have the proof of it from a a leaked phone conversation that the Assistant Secretary of State, Victoria Nuland, was actually plotting who would be the next leader of Ukraine. And then the following years, we have the U.S. and NATO pouring weapons into that country, training the military. Uh, And uh, so that context is important. You know, nobody wants uh, interference in the eternal affairs of of another country. And uh, certainly uh, the U.S. has been doing it all over the world. But Ukraine is one example where right on Russia's Russia's border, you have the U.S. so heavily involved uh, that it really uh, decides who is going to be the leader of Ukraine? I don't think you can deny um, the U.S. interference. Um, before before we continue, I just wanted to put our telephone number out there. 713-526-5738. Anybody who wants to ask uh, Madie something or anybody who wants to talk about Ukraine, give us a call. 713-526-5738. Hit the number two. Hit the number two if you want to uh, come on air. But right now, Joe is going to tell Madie is going to be in town. Madie, you're going to be in town several days given uh, given your talk throughout Houston. So we're going. Uh, Joe is going to tell us about how they can come right. see you. Tomorrow... December 3rd at 7 p.m. She'll be at the Houston Mennonite Church on Worth Road. On Sunday, she'll be at First UU Church on Fannin from 2 to 4. Monday, she'll be at the Bay Area UU Church uh, on El Camino Real down in Clear Lake from 7 to 9. And on Tuesday, she'll be at... uh, Lone Star College up in Kingwood be presenting to a live audience there, and it's going to be live streamed by Alberto here to the other six campuses, and uh, Pax Christi, Texas, will be on on the feed too. Absolutely so. So, my dear, you have a busy schedule when you uh, come here to Houston. I I hope you're uh, eating your Wheaties. Well, you know, it's energizing after writing the book and being able to get out on the road and talk to people about it. Uh, that's why we wrote the book. We certainly didn't write it to make any money because you don't make money from these books. Uh, what you do is really educate people. And at a time when people are so confused and uh, having a difficult time wrapping their head around uh, what's the best thing? Uh, how can we avoid a nuclear war? How can we avoid uh, a, a larger war? And how can we stop uh, the brutality that's going on now? Uh, it is so important to get out and talk to people and uh, brainstorm together. What are the ways that we can affect change? How can we put pressure on elected officials? Where do things stand with the Democrat and Republican Party? What's going to happen when this next round of $37 billion is going to be voted on in Congress? So there's a lot of things to talk about. 
Now, before I, I really want to kind of go into the guts of that article that you wrote, wrote for Common Dreams. Before that, I want to invite other people to come in uh, if they want to. This is a subject. I mean, it's funny that you just said, ah, oh, you know, I write books to really inform, but I don't really write books to make a lot of money because especially in political books and this sort of a stuff, it is difficult as hell. You have to be out there, but I, I, I get it. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the, I think it was the uh, overthrow that occurred in, Joe, when, what year was the overthrow? 2000, 2014. 2014. February. Yeah. Right. What was the genesis of that? Because I think one of the leads, one of the uh, tenets that you're saying is that United States involvement uh, the, the the bulk of the in, in United States involvement culminated with that overthrow. And did you want to add something to that, Joe? Or well, uh, basically, the U.S. was heavily involved in uh, funding the overthrow of uh, uh, the Ukraine government. Yachenko uh, yeah, was a corrupt, but uh, he was uh, elected uh, a president of the country, and he. Uh, try to make cut a deal with uh, Europe uh, where he would get similar treatment uh, to what the Russians were offering and and the deal wasn't good enough so he went back and made a deal with the Russians and that that freaked out the uh, Ukrainians and the United States yes and we helped uh, overthrow that you know there's a telephone conversation between Victoria Newland speaking to the U.S. ambassador, describing who she wants to put in there. And when uh, the the ambassador says, well, hey, the EU doesn't want that, she says, well, tell the EU to go F themselves. And uh, that that type of involvement that we do in in these countries, it's horrendous. It does nothing but destroy any hope for... Uh, redemption uh, in these situations. And we keep funding it. She had $5 million at hand that she bragged about. And, and it goes on and goes on. And, you know, Medea just brought up uh, the $37 uh, billion. What does that bring? $100 billion? And what's that for? We're feeding oligarchs in this country that run military industrial complexes. That's what it's all about. What's your thoughts on that, Medea? Well, yes, you know, I, I, I like to think of uh, Victoria Newland as she's outside with the protesters giving out sandwiches and uh, cookies and think, what if on January 6th, when the right-wing Republicans were trying to storm the Congress and overthrow our government, there was a Russian diplomat that went out there to hand out some goodies to people and say, yeah, go get them, overthrow the government. I mean, it's just in, inconceivable that that would happen here in the U.S., but the U.S. does that and did that. Uh, and so, yes, um, it is so important that people understand uh, the extent, which we really don't know. You know, these um, U.S. has been involved in coups all over the world, and it takes us many years after the fact to get the information about what was how, how involved the U.S. We have to do these Freedom of Information Act requests. But finally, when it comes out, uh, we see the in intimate um, use of the funds that Joe just talked about, uh, how it's given to different groups, creating new groups, uh, manipulating peaceful protests. And that's precisely what happened in the case of Ukraine. 
Absolutely. So on, on the internet, uh, Bridge asks, just now, are, are giving us some news. She says, live, Putin refuses to negotiate with U.S. on ending war. Russia's President Vladimir Putin has again reduced, uh, refused to negotiate with U.S. on ending the war in Ukraine. Mr. Putin is open to talks on a possible settlement in Ukraine, but the West must accept Moscow's demand. The Kremlin said on Friday, the Kremlin's response comes a day after U.S. President Joe Biden has said he is ready to speak with Mr. Putin if the Russian president is interested in ending the war with Ukraine as he sought to alleviate European anger over U.S. subsidies. As somebody who wrote, is peace possible in Ukraine? What's your thought on that? That just hit the wire a few minutes ago. Well, I don't think um, there is. Uh, if, if Biden wants to talk to Putin, he would have been talking to Putin and he would talk to Putin. Uh, he has said with many conditions, including that he uh, won't uh, that Ukraine has to be uh, agreeable to it, that NATO has to be agreeable to it, and that Russia has to say uh, we're ready to end this war. I say that um, they should be talking to each other. They should have been talking to each other a long time ago, um, that we are uh, calling on our, our president to talk to Putin, um, that we are calling on our secretary of state to talk to his counterpart in Russia, uh, and we want to see it happen. Um, we don't want them to be going back and forth saying, you know, how are we going to stop this war from expanding? Uh, because while that is absolutely critical, um, the real critical issue is um, how do we stop the fighting right now? Because we saw those, that missile that went into Poland and killed two people. And there was all kinds of uh, 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 reports, including the AP wire service that said it came from Russia. And this was uh, potentially the beginning of a third world war. Uh, luckily, the Polish uh, head of state said, no, it did not come from Russia. It came from Ukraine. Uh, and so a crisis at that moment was averted. But that's just one potential uh, errant missile. And there will be more. And maybe one will come from Russia. So we have to recognize how dangerous this situation is, how it's... Um, uh, it's a more dangerous situation than the time of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Exactly. And, and that we have to um, recognize that uh, uh, just talking about talks is not good enough. We want real talks. 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. If anybody wants to speak to uh, Madia Benjamin on, on the subject at hand. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us again uh, where people can uh, come visit Madia as she gives her talks throughout Houston the several days that we're going to be here. Okay, tomorrow, Houston Mennonite Church, 7 p.m. at 1231 Worth Road. Sunday, on Fannin, the first UU church, it'll be at 2 to 4. Monday, Clear Lake area, Bay Area UU church, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And you can go up to Lone Star College or just get on a feed. Uh, Alberto's offering the feed, and it'll be available to you to get onto. It's a YouTube feed, isn't it? It's a YouTube feed. Feed? If I can tell them the URL, if you go to politicsdoneright.com slash media, politicsdoneright.com slash media, media is spelled 
M-E-D-E-A. So it's politicsdoneright.com slash M-E-D-E-A. You will be able to go ahead and watch the live stream on, it's on Tuesday at 1230 Central, correct? Did I get that right? Yes. Tuesday at 12.30 Central. So, my dear, you're, you're going to be doing, you know, the great thing about having you in town putting this message out there is just like you said, the mainstream media has a narrative and everybody picks up on that narrative. And, and it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that occurs uh, when, when we have it this way. The same thing that occurred, I don't know if you're, well, of course you remember, the Iraq war, etc. We create, we constantly create these narratives and it's then generally hard to get it out of the psyche of people. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that what the narrative is, is that uh, this is a winnable war by the Ukrainians, and that if we just send them enough weapons, uh, enough uh, money, that they will be able to take back every inch of territory uh, that Russia has claimed in the Donbass and Crimea, while the people in our own Pentagon who I must say are used to losing wars because they've been doing that for quite a while. (laughs) They are saying this is not a winnable war. Uh, They can't win on the battlefield. And they should, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has said, seize the moment and go from the battlefield to the negotiating table. So if the people in the Pentagon understand this, um, that should trickle down or up which or sideways uh, to the people in the White House and to our Secretary of State. Well, interestingly, the European Union, they uh, have a much more negative assessment as far as whether uh, one can uh, win the war, whether Ukraine can win the war. I mean, just the math alone tells you otherwise, right? I mean, uh, Russia doesn't have to have highly technical equipment to really keep uh, Ukraine in, in trouble. But anyway, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your paper because I found the paper fascinating. You had these eight reasons why we should go to, uh, for peace. The first one is, uh, you, want, you, want to, you want to read that first, the first to- topic, uh, Joe? The first and most urgent reason is in the incredible daily date, debts and suffering in Ukraine and a chance to save millions more Ukrainians from being forced to leave their homes, their belongings, and the cons- uh, conscripted men f- uh, folk that may never we may never see again. Tell us about that. Well, I think number one in all of this is what's happening to the Ukrainians, and they're being killed, they're being forced to flee their homes, and uh, about ten million of them, which is a third of the population are now facing winter without adequate electricity, energy, uh, water, and uh, this is misery, and it must be stopped. And I think uh, those who say that uh, talking to Putin is um, going against the best interests of the Ukrainians are wrong, because they are the ones suffering from this. And, you know, interestingly, my dear, the other, the other issue is what it has done to the school cycle and all of that. It, it just simply uh, takes away uh, years from, uh, it's going to be a year from the, the, the developmental stages of these kids uh, and, and much more and much more. What's the second one? That uh, Neither side can achieve a decisive military victory. And with its recent military gains, Ukraine is in a good negotiating position. Your thoughts? 
Uh, I'm sorry. Could, uh, I, um... that, that's right. The item two is neither side can achieve a decisive military oh. victory. And with its recent military gains, Ukraine is in a good negotiating position, which is what you what, what you claim, I think, also in your book. Well, right. That, um, you know, it, it, it's quite remarkable that Ukraine has been able to push back on so many fronts. Uh, but Russia still controls 20 percent of the territory, and uh, they have fortified their areas along the Donbass, and they have tremendous strength in Crimea as well. And let's also um, let the uh, uh, audience understand, your listeners understand, um, that Crimea, which is a contested uh, area, has been under Russia control for 200 years, in fact, longer than it's been under Ukrainian control. So there are a lot of people inside Crimea that identify with Russia, that are Russian speakers, uh, and that want to be part of Russia. So um, it's not rational to say that every inch will be returned to Ukraine and that it can be done on the battlefield. Next one. U.S. government officials, especially in the Republican Party, are starting to balk at the prospects of continuing this enormous level of military and economic support. You know, we talked about $100 billion a few minutes ago, but only about 30 percent of the weapons are actually getting into the hands of the Ukrainians. There's a tremendous black market out there. There's a real good article in Yukonska Pravda. Uh, uh, it's a Ukrainian uh, media group talking about the um, Monaco Battalion. These are oligarchs living in Monaco on the Côte d'Azur, where they're living in on yachts and big, beautiful homes, and they're getting fantastic amount of money coming in from these uh, black markets that are going through there. So, as taxpayers, we got to be upset about this. Go ahead, Medea. Once you can add to that, please. Well, yes, we've already sent, uh, there was one tranche of money that was $40 billion. There was another that was $13 billion. Uh, there's now $37 billion that's being asked for uh, with no end in sight. Yeah. And as Joe said, um, we don't know where so many of these weapons are going when there are some Republicans who have asked for a inspector general to be set up to uh, monitor where these weapons are going and have some auditing. Uh, the White House didn't want to do that. Uh, we know in the past when we have sent weapons and flooded places like Afghanistan and Iraq uh, with weapons, what we got was al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, and we have no idea who is buying weapons on the black market. So there has to be uh, an outcry. And so far, that outcry is only coming from a small group of Republicans uh, but not from any of the Democrats. Yeah, Medea, when you said we don't know who's buying things, when these HIMARS, the, the missiles that are so precious to us, were sent over there, one of the first HIMARS was bought on the black market by the Russians for $150,000. So they had our wow. weaponry before uh, the Ukrainians had it. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. It is amazing. Now, uh, Medea, the, the the fourth item you're talking about, the war is causing upheavals in Europe, which is which is true. Um, there's one piece of that article that I I, I kind of said, you know, the only thing that I wanted to add to that number four part that you did was that we should uh, we 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 shouldn't give the corporations a pass with just using Ukraine as one of the sole causes of inflation. Um, I, I saw that in the article and I said, ah, I, she's right, but. But 
God, please don't give those corporations a break. Your thoughts on number four that said uh, the war is causing upheavals in uh, in Europe, including that of an inflation. Well, yes, uh, the Europeans are really suffering from the sanctions that their own governments have imposed on Russia. And while Russia is still getting a lot of money in from selling its energy to other countries, um, the uh, Europeans who are relying on the energy from Russia are having to buy it from other sources, including from the United States, at four or five times the price that um, the Americans are paying. And so Russians are speaking out and saying, The U.S. is profiting from this war. The dirty energy companies in the U.S. are trying to fill the vacuum from the uh, uh, Russian energy. Uh, And they're also, the Europeans, uh, complaining that the U.S. is profiting from the increased amount of money that the European countries are now spending on the military because a lot of that money is just going back to U.S. weapons manufacturers. And then in terms of the Russian population, they're bearing the brunt of this. And we see big demonstrations that are happening in a number of different countries where people are going out of the streets. And uh, they're saying that uh, the the cost of our uh, of heating our homes is beyond our reach at this point, the cost in the grocery stores. Um, and yet here we are giving all this money to Ukraine uh, and imposing these sanctions that are hurting us. So it's affecting politically the countries in Europe uh, in a, and affecting the, the people, of course, in a very negative way. You know, you know let me let me just uh, correct you there. You, you said the Russian people. I think you were talking about the uh, EU people, the people in uh, Europe sorry, are, yeah. are suffering. And uh, one other thing is that uh, when we passed that inflation bill a while ago, we had lot, lots of money to enhance uh us bringing in European industries in, in, into the United States. And a lot of them, because they don't have uh, cheap energy anymore, are moving their operations over here. Battery companies, car uh, industries, and this is killing uh, uh, Germany. Germany is, is dead unless they do something. And well, I know right, they're and upset. that's another thing they're, they're complaining so much about is here you're taking uh, companies – that uh, have been providing jobs for us in Europe and enticing them to come to the United States because of low energy prices. Exactly. All right, folks, uh, you know, you notice we haven't gotten a lot of calls. This is something that that's interesting. This is a very important subject on 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 the, on an international issue that can cause us as Americans a whole lot of pain. And we have made it so placé, uh, Madie, that what has happened is people just kind of put it on the sideline, which allows our politicians to do as they please and so forth. So, folks, if you if you have any interest or thoughts in this particular subject, 713-526. In about five minutes, we're going to be talking the other issue. Madie will give us a closer, but call 713-526-5738, 713-526-5738 if you have any particular issue or questions on Ukraine. Uh, Madie, uh, we, we have about three more minutes all together what would you like how would you like to frame what americans need to know to make this a better to make this a better uh a better situation if you will they need to know that the uh, message that is coming from 
Congress and from certain parts of the White House uh, are putting us in the situation of funding another unwinnable war that is not in the interest of the American people and that our representatives are not representing us. And so we need to organize more, whether we call ourselves left, right, Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian, whatever, uh, and get our voices heard uh, by those who control the purse strings and and have the power in this country uh, so that they really reflect uh, not only our needs, but what's in the best interest of the entire region of Ukraine, of, of Europe, and to the world. Because as long as we keep spending hundreds of billions of dollars on weapons and war and close to a trillion dollars on the Pentagon, we will not have enough money to address either the needs at home, like health care and uh, a good education system that is uh, doesn't put our young people in debt, um, or ad- dealing with the climate crisis that really is the existential threat for humanity. Well, Matt, Matt uh, listen, Matt, yeah, I just gave a call out and said people are not calling, and then the, f- the the phone lines just lit up. So let me go ahead and go ahead and take this call from Madeline. And uh, Madeline, you're on the air. Hi, hi, Egberto, and hi, Medea. Um, Madeline Prozette Williams. Um, this has been a real concern of mine. I have talked to what I thought were some very progressive friends about this issue. And one of the responses I keep getting would be, well, it would just be immoral for, not, for us to not go in and aid the Ukrainians militarily. And my response has been, well, I've done a lot of reading on this, and I agree with Colonel Wilkerson, who said several months ago, you know, we're looking at possibly choosing between saving Ukraine or starting a nuclear war, which would possibly blow up a large part of the whole world. And I think that's a real moral consideration, too. And um, I keep curious to see what your thoughts on this, Armadillo. Well, I don't like to pose it as those are the two options, because I don't think this is saving Ukraine. I think with every day that goes by, we see Ukraine being destroyed. And if we think that uh, destroying uh, homes, residential neighborhoods, electricity grids, uh, water supplies, sewer systems is, quote, saving Ukraine, uh, it's not. And uh, I think there are certainly some people in Ukraine who want to fight to the last Ukrainian, but there is a rising a number of people inside Ukraine who are the ones who are most affected by this war, who are also really uh, now at this point saying, we've got to find a way to end this war. We've got to go to the negotiating table. So uh, this is really about saving Ukraine stopping us from getting into a broader war uh, and the possibility of not just a nuclear war, but an explosion in that Zaporizhia nuclear plant or other nuclear plants, uh, which could be so disastrous for the entire uh, uh, region of of Europe, if not the world. Yeah. Anything else you want to ask, uh, Madeline, before we go to Irina? Yeah, I, I just think I used to teach visual merchandising at the university several years ago, and I'm not necessarily vis- visual, but just from the merchandising standpoint, the press, the corporate press has done an amazing job of creating this viewpoint in the American people, and that's all they've looked at. So right. That's all right. I have to say. Yeah. 
Thank you very much, Madeline. We have to run to Irina now. So let's get Irina on the air. Irina, you're on. Yes, hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Irina, and I'm uh, originally from Ukraine. I've been living in the uh, United States for about over 20 years. Not only I'm from Ukraine, I'm from uh, Crimea, actually, from Kerch, where the bridge is between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, I have family in Kharkiv that was bombed by Russians mercilessly and destroyed most of the town. I have family that is uh, not living in Kharkiv anymore because they had to move their areas were destroyed. They had to move out. The only thing that helps us to survive my people to survive is uh, our spirits, our uh, forces, and uh, American and European help and weapons. If you stop this this help now, we have much more death than uh, we have now. So if you if somebody says, and I heard that, that oh, let Russians. Take Ukraine, uh, uh, let Russia take Crimea back, because Russia had it for a long time. Yeah, let's have uh, America's colonies back to uh, England or South Texas to, to, to Mexico. Let's revise all the border. All these people who are stronger to get uh, smaller countries because of their ambition. I also heard that uh, HIMARS was sell, sold in the black market for hundreds. $40,000 or something to Russia. I didn't see any evidence of that. I would like to see the sources. Irina, um, Irina, I get you. Yes, I, I get yes. the point, and I, I really understand that, that what you're saying, and 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 the, the equate the, what you did with the United States, as to say, suppose it's amazing that you chose England, as suppose England came and wanted back the colonies. My answer would be suppose the indigenous folks came back and wanted their land. I mean, it, I, I, the frame of reference was a, a bit astounding, but let's get Madea into answering that question. The point I is that to revise the, the, the borders yes, yes, is yes. a wrong idea. I so get it, Irina. Revise it, the borders and get, uh, you know, let let strong person, let strong country get the piece of the territory they want. Right. Irina, you're making right. a lot of sense. I, I understand what you're saying, and that's the reason I want to hear uh, Madia's response, but uh, because it's important. And, and, and that's a good analogy that you gave as well. Go ahead, uh, please, Madia. Yes, I'm sorry for the suffering that your family is undergoing, and that's precisely why we feel that these things have to be hashed out at the negotiating table, that the people of Crimea need to have an internationally supervised referendum in which they can decide what their future will be, the same with Donbass. But that's the kind of thing that's going to come from talks. It's not going to come from the battlefield. You know as well as I do that Russia is well-equipped, um, that is entrenched in the, in the Donbass area, uh, as well as in Crimea. And there are in both places, maybe not your family, but others who do side with Russia. So this has to be worked out peacefully. Why would, why would the uh, people of Donbass, they're not people of Donbass, it is internationally recognized uh, borders of independent sovereign country. Why somebody would come and take it because they're stronger? Why somebody would come to 
uh, and get Crimea. It they didn't, didn't have any rights. It is in, it is it is it is trading of international law. Let's go and have well, Idina, Idina, I get it. You're right. Okay. It, I mean, I, I understand. Let's remember that Crimea was part of Russia. Crimea was the part of Greece. Crimea was the part of the Ottoman Empire. One person at a time, please, Irina. Right to hand that over. Um, That since Russia came in in 2014, people have been living peacefully in Crimea, Uh, and so I know how it was peaceful. My my brother had to escape from Crimea. Irina, I have to go to some other callers, but I want to ask a favor, Irina, because uh, Joe wants to uh, talk to you, has been from Crimea. So I want to ask you to drop me a line at info at politicsdoneright.com. Info at politicsdoneright.com with your information so I can pass it along to our uh, researcher here, Joe, Joe uh, Marcinskowski. So please do that. But we are really interested in having somebody that's been on that land to speak about. That's the kind of work that we do. So, Irina, we have to uh, thank you for calling and please get in touch with us. Info at politicsdoneright.com. We'll continue the conversation, okay? Bye-bye. Thank you very much. All right, let's go ahead and get Bridge on the line. Bridge on the line. How are you doing, Bridge? Hey, Alberto. How are you doing? Great, my dear. Talk to me. I had a question for Medea or you guys. The one thing I don't hear and I don't understand is why isn't Ukraine part of NATO? And wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? Medea? No, that's, that's a part of the problem is that Russia was always saying that Ukraine has this extensive border with Russia, uh, that inviting Ukraine into NATO uh, was a red line for Russia. They didn't want an aggressive military alliance uh, to have extended, which it already has along its border in places like Poland and Romania and the Baltic countries. Uh, And they have always said the real red line would be Ukraine. And the U.S. knew that, the Europeans knew that. Uh, in 2008, when there was a meeting of NATO and George Bush pushed for uh, NATO to include Ukraine, the Europeans pushed back and said, no, that's a very bad idea. Um, but unfortunately, uh, now NATO is asking for, I mean, Ukraine is asking for membership in NATO, but any kind of real peace talks will have to result in Ukraine being a neutral country because Russia just won't accept it. And I think for Americans, it's important to recognize that we've had 200 years of something called the Monroe Doctrine, where the U.S. would not allow other countries to have an influence in our, quote, backyard, uh, and went in and overthrew governments throughout Latin America uh, that weren't pro-U.S. enough. Uh, Russia does have its own security interests, and having Ukraine in NATO is indeed, or has already been indeed, a red line. Wow, uh, Medea, I, 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 first of all, I want to compliment you on, on, on making that, that, com- that necessary comparison for Americans themselves to understand. We ha- we've had the Monroe Doctrine how many, a hundred and something years now? Next year will be 200. Next year will be 200 years. Were we, and, and uh, you know, here's a victim of that issue, Panama and the, the building of the Panama Canal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So great observation. Bridget, I uh, want to say something else. Um, I just, I, I, I understand, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I think that they should be part of the, the NATO. And, but I do understand the reasoning. It just, 
I don't know. It's difficult. Well, I'd love for you to get a copy of the book because we have a whole chapter on NATO itself, and people really need to have a better understanding of NATO because it's always portrayed to us as this defensive alliance, but it's not. It's gone and made wars in Afghanistan and Libya. It's setting its sights now on uh, China. It wants uh, all countries in NATO to spend more money on the military. So it really is a very dangerous alliance. I wish that it had been dissolved at the time that the Warsaw Pact, its counterpart in the uh, Soviet Union, was dissolved. Uh, and I certainly don't want it seeing, to see it growing as it's doing now. You know, um, one wow. of the things, Madia, is that it think it's all it's it's difficult in general for Americans to understand these geopolitical issues because we have a media that's that's solely that it's 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 generally the engine of you know of pro, I, I don't want to just use propaganda because that is too hard I I think but generally promotes the messages of our military industrial complex who benefits from the exactly what you're speaking about the expansion of NATO asking all NATO uh, countries to spend more money on their defense defense from what I don't know so uh, you want to expand on that a bit yeah you know it, we're talking about this today when Northrop Grumman has just released uh, a new unveiled a new stealth bomber capable of carrying nuclear bombs uh, at the cost of $750 million per uh, stealth bomber. Wow. And, you know, you got to just think, what are we doing? How insane is this? Does the world really need uh, a new uh, version of a stealth bomber, bomber when people are going hungry, when we have so many unhoused people on our streets, when we can't get a decent health care system in this country? I mean... We have so exactly. many unmet needs. It's just insanity. Let me, uh, before I finish, I just want to salute all our folks inside of the chat room that's been having some great conversation. Unfortunately, with the, with the amount of stuff we're doing here, I wasn't able to address all, but I want to welcome Gene Daigle, Bridge MCPE2247, uh, Eric Hayes, uh, uh, let's see, Kathy Courtney is in the house as well. Uh, with us, we also have uh, Gene Daigle and uh, uh, quite a bit, but I, uh, Carl Cox is in the house. Thank you guys for uh, listening online. Thank you guys for listening on air. Remember, this is a family and this is how we do things together. Uh, Bridge, anything else you'd like to add before I go to Tori? Yes, um, yes. Uh, Medina mentioned the book. Which book? Okay, the name of the book is Is Peace Possible in Ukraine? And by the way, Bridge, I'll have it uh, at, with the links at my website so that we can go. But oh, okay. you want to say something? Yes, uh, Bridget, come on uh, down to the Houston uh, Mennonite Church tomorrow night at 7 oh, o'clock. In New York. <laughs> oh, you're in New York. Oh, I'm sorry about that. To get there. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, we'll have we'll have all the links to to her stuff uh, to her stuff um, on on the website. You know where you know where you're going to find that. Uh, yeah, I'll find people. it later. Yeah, but it, it'll be the blog corresponding to this program. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get over to Tori. Come on in, Tori. Hey, great to hear you. Uh, and, you know, love Medea, Benjamin, and Code Pink forever. Uh, but I think one thing that people uh, haven't been understanding is what Putin's motive, real motivation is. And just to frame this, there's four, or actually five goalposts on this field. Uh, there's five players, and they all have different motivations. 
and any crime scene they say follow the money and that's the motivation eastern europeans uh want security from invasion uh, and cybersecurity. Uh, the U.S., number two, uh, wants to diminish the Russian military potential, the attrition. So they like to do the long, slow bleed-out. I mean, that's the pattern in Iraq and here and there. Uh, you know, just a 10-year bleed-out before, you know, just to you know, weaken the regime. Plus, the U.S. wants to uh, diminish Putin's grip on the Russian state. Number three is Ukraine. What do they want? They want to maintain their land base. Number four, Putin. What does he want? Well, first, you know, it's to understand that uh, uh, it's to understand what the Russians themselves want. You know, there's a lot of there's a nascent movement in Russia for democracy. And historically, what we need to understand, what motivated Putin just before this invasion of Ukraine, there was uh, trouble in Kazakhstan and in Belarus you know, democracy movements that had to be put down, uh, and they weren't able to put them down by those dictators in those two countries. Putin had to send in forces to help his friendly dictators in Kazakhstan and Belarus to put down the democracy movement. That's the real motivation. Putin, the, the thing that Putin fears the most isn't NATO, it's democracy. Because if democracy happens in, U- in, in Russia, Putin will be arrested. Let's let's make Madiek answer that. Madiek, can you uh, address that? Well, I don't really agree with that. I think Putin, uh, before this war, was a very, very popular leader. Uh, He had about a 76% approval rating. We have to understand that when he came in, uh, he came in at a time when the standard of living of the people of Russia had plummeted because of the plundering of their economy by uh, oligarchs. And he improved the economy uh, tremendously. And uh, to the extent that he uh, was one of the most popular leaders, um, he now, his his popularity rating has gone down with this war. um, And it's hard to judge right now uh, because there is a lot of censorship in Russia uh, particularly since the war started. Um, but still, it looks like there are over 60% of the Russian people who support their leader. Uh, I think there are many different motivations. I mean, we talked about Crimea and it being the warm, only warm water port that uh, the Russian fleet has access to in the Black Sea and how important that is for them militarily. Um, there are also uh, the... Uh, important resources that exist in the Donbass, um, but that there is a civil war that has been going on uh, since 2014 in which there are people of Russian uh, background, Russian ethnicity, who have been calling on Russia to come in and help them. So I think we have to put together a number of different reasons, uh, but I don't think painting it in terms of just black and white of democracy and a dictatorship gives us... Well, what I was addressing was Putin's fear. You know, what when you, what I was talking about was Putin's... What is Putin afraid of? And, you know, if he wasn't afraid of democracy, he wouldn't be outlawing all the free press. He wouldn't be putting any kind of opposition leaders in prison and, uh, you know, and taking, you know, the oligarchs that oppose him. Uh, he goes into their law offices and just takes their ownership papers of their corporations, you know, at gunpoint. You know, I'm talking about Putin's fears. What is he afraid of? And uh, he's afraid of democracy. 
I mean, you know. Yes, I just am not saying that that's the Okay, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Go ahead, Mindy. Democracy is the most existential threat to Putin because if there's a real democracy in Russia, he will go to the prison for the rest of his life. Okay, let let her answer, uh, Tori. Go ahead, uh, Madia. I agree with you there. I'm just saying it's not a motivation for invading Ukraine. I, okay, I have to agree with that. There's never a, a correct reason to invade another country if, if, your, if your citizens are not under attack. So I, I am. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tori. Good to hear you, Medea. Keep coming to Houston. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Th- thank you, buddy. I appreciate it, Tori. All right. Uh, let's see. I, and Roberto Lewis, welcome to Politics Done Right as well, as well as we have. Uh, uh, Jules, uh, Ray, thank you so kindly for being here. My dear, give us a closer because we have to, we're only going to have seven minutes because you got very popular at the end of the show. So let's go ahead and get a closer and then we'll get to the, to the end of the program. Thank you. A closer from me now. From you. Yes, my dear. Oh, yes. The, the name of the book I just wanted to clarify is War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless War. And I'm really looking forward to being in the Houston area uh, to have the kind of discussions that we've just had now, which are very rich and important, uh, and uh, to get beyond the mainstream uh, narrative, uh, the kind of discussion we've had here is something that you won't hear on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. Uh, so thank you much for, for this radio station. Uh, and please come out and let's keep the discussion going and figure out ways that we can uh, be a a, a positive force in trying to end this war. My dear, it's been my pleasure to have you on air with us at Politics and Right. Now, let me ask Joe to give you a bye-bye. Go ahead, Joe. All right, my dear, we're looking forward to seeing you. I do need the times that you're going to be flying in at to be sure to pick you up. I haven't <laughs> sure. heard that yet. It's scaring me. But uh, Saturday, you're going to be at the Houston Mennonite Church from uh, 7 till 9. Sunday, you're going to be at the first U, uh, UU Church in uh, 5200 Fadden Street from 2 to 4. Uh, Monday, you'll be at the Bay Area UU Church uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. And Tuesday, well, you'll be uh, at Kingwood College from 1230 to 230 speaking on a live stream that Liberto's uh, set up on YouTube and I guess if it's on YouTube, we'll be able to see that for around indefinitely. The, around the world, and yeah. we'll keep it indefinitely. We'll clean it up, of course, and make sure it's all there. Madia, it's been our pleasure to have you here at KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. You have a wonderful day, and we can't wait to see you in person. Right. Okay, thanks so much for having me on. Look forward to being there. Absolutely. Bye. All right, let's go to line two for Ray before I jump into the subject of the railways. Go ahead, Ray. Talk to me. Oh, hey, uh, Egberto, I was just trying to get a word in. Uh, that Ukraine stuff is pretty heavy. Yes. And I'll be the first to admit I don't know, but what I do know is that the biggest losers in this whole ordeal is the people of every nation that are involved. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yes, sir. Russian people and yes. the Ukrainians. We and the Americans. The Americans. And yes. the Americans. And yeah, we'll- yeah I, I put the Americans in that, too. We yes. are all the biggest losers. Because all we can really do is sit by and watch our tax dollars go into this war needlessly. 
Well, you know, Ray, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for realizing that. But the second thing here is as long as we have folks like Madier, we have folks like Brother Joe Marcinskowski here, and what we do here at KPFT, we get a chance to make people aware. Because uh, it's interesting that I sent out a tweet a couple days ago that said, because Ukraine just got another several uh, million dollars. And I said, it's amazing that it'll only take a billion dollars to fix the entire water system of Jackson, Mississippi. It'll take less than a billion dollars to fix the water system of Flint, Michigan. But we gave $37 billion to Ukraine and never asked any questions. As Joe would tell you, uh, probably 70% of that went wastefully to the oligarchs who made money on that on the black market. So you are so right in bringing that up, my brother. Anything else before I can? I have to go quickly into the next subject. I only have three minutes to discuss the next subject. <laughs> no, I ain't going to hold you, Alberto. Just that's, the base, that's basically the point is that we as the American people have to hold our elected leaders well, look, brother, thank you very much for calling, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay, folks, we are almost out of time here. We have about three minutes or so. Let me just say that the, the second part of the, the, the subject today is what occurred in Congress. And, you know, I had one of our devout listeners, you know, he sent me a, a text this morning, and he said, we sold them out. We sold them out. We sold them out. Another supporter sent me an email, said, I agree with what Biden has done. Where do I stand? And here I have two, two people that are politics done right guys saying, hey, one person agrees with what the Biden and Congress has done. And the other side says that they don't. Let me tell you where I'm at. We did the wrong thing. This was we. Uh, it is true that the, the it is true that these folks. It is true that we were going. If the trail, if there's a strike, the economy will suffer dearly. That is true. That means that those hundred and fifteen or hundred and eighteen thousand workers, they have bargaining power. They're they are worth a lot more. Than they are, they're being, they're, they deserve their week of sick pay. Why did we just acquiesce to the corporatocracy and just said, the corporatocracy just said, we stopped negotiating. Biden is going to come to a rescue. The Congress is going to come to a rescue. And you know what, what really got to me? When my guy said, Egberto, and most of the progressives in Congress also supported it. No, if we had said no. If we had said no, they would not have wanted the economy to crater because they love the economy, the money they pull from the economy more than we do. We have to get with the program and we have to start electing people that are going to do the things necessary for us to survive. We're coming close to the end of the program again. I want to thank Joe Marksinskowski for being here with me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so kindly. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being with you. And I'd like to thank Madier ben Benjamin for being here with us as well. And, of course, our PDR Posse online. You guys were humping in that room. I hope I won't miss you at 3 o'clock. I want to see this action at 3 o'clock as well, folks. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We 
spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.